can I just get the person who made the burgers for the last month or so to stand up? No? Okay, I'm joking. It's me. It's you. You're just paying yourself out, mate. I love it. We've got the colonel in the house. He's making the burgers today. There's going to be extra spicy chicken, I reckon. I don't know. Hopefully, it's going to be nice. I'm going to be sticking around afterwards. So it'd be great if you could stick around too. Um, just wanted to um, just say hi. It's been a, a minute since I've been here, but I love coming to Morrifield. And I've got my daughter on the front row this morning. Oh, my goodness. Please don't start crying. That would just be crazy. Like the ultimate, like payout of a, of, a, of a preacher is when your daughter just cries on the front row. Like, just shut up, Dad. But this morning, I'm going I'm to want to speak about um, something that we pretty much all would have a handle on. Uh, we all would kind of know what we're doing with. We're all pretty much experts in this, and that's in prayer. Hands up if you're an expert in prayer. Absolutely, that's the right response. Because every single one of us, um, just like we bagged out on the burgers, every single one of us just pays out on ourselves when it comes to prayer. But this morning, throughout it all, I just want to encourage, uh, encourage you, encourage myself as well, that we are doing better than we think we're doing. That you are doing better than you think you are doing. And uh, we can all just have a little bit of humility this morning about prayer and just to you know, put myself in, in the space of being humble. I just want to share a story with you of something that happened yesterday. And um, baby brain is a thing for fathers as well as it is for mothers. I just want to put that out there. It's not like man flu. It's not like a lesser version of baby brain. It is exactly the same uh, level of intensity as the mothers have it. Uh, we are, yeah, Gemma's, Gemma's nodding her head. Yeah, like, yeah, Pete, Pete, like Gemma's like, yeah, Pete's got a baby brain. Um, we're just bagging out on each other this morning. We're just like paying out on each other all the time. But um, this, yesterday morning, uh, we got up, went through our normal morning routine, and we were headed out in the morning to do some stuff and then to go to do some shopping. And as I do, sometimes I put uh, some bottles and a dummy and, and stuff like that into a pot of hot water on the hob, set it to boil to sterilize those things. No problem at all. Done this by this point. At least a hundred times, I reckon, I've done this to this point. Then I get a Facebook message as we're at the shops four hours later from my neighbor saying, hey, probably okay, but your fire alarm's been going off for the past hour, and we just wanted to make sure everything was all right. We can't see any smoke or anything, so we're sure it's okay, but just thought you should know, and we're like... Oh, you're an amazing neighbor. Thank you so much. It's fantastic. Appreciate the heads up. Rush home, hear the fire alarm going from outside the house. I'm like, Julie, I'm the big burly man of the house. You stay here. Stay safe. I'll go into the burning wreckage that is our house. Go in, and the house is just full of white smoke. Full of white smoke. So we spent all day yesterday with all of the windows open, all of the fans on, I slept on the sofa. Julie and Liberty slept in the spare room. It was a nightmare. And just to keep me humble, I reckon, that happened. With that in mind, I think we should just take a second and just give ourselves some slack. Just like I had to give myself some slack yesterday, just like, hey, that it just happened. Like, I felt rough as afterwards. I felt really, really bad, like, am I poisoning my family level of bad? 
But you have to give yourself some slack when accidents and mistakes happen. And with our prayer life, I think we have to give ourselves some slack because you are doing way better than you think you are actually doing. Can I be honest with you this morning? Is it okay if we're honest in church? Is that all right? I suck at prayer. I do. I do. I, all, I have always struggled to just kind of stay focused and stay kind of concentrated on, on one thing. Quiet times are, are not necessarily quiet for me because my brain just kind of goes tick, 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 tick. So it's not that easy for me. And I bet you if I asked for a show of hands in the place this morning, you would also say that, you know, your prayer could do some work and your quiet time could have some work there as well. It doesn't help when you go to places like Kurong either, like the Christian bookshop of choice. Other bookshops are available, I think. <laughs> sure, you can buy them all online anyway. But when you go to Kurong and the shelves are full of stuff like this on the screen. Yeah. The secret power of prayer. Miracles happen when you pray. Power through prayer. Prayer in the Spirit. And you're too busy not to pray. The shelves literally scream at us that we need to be doing better in our prayer life. And do you know what happens when you start to read those titles, when you browse through all of those topics? You start to feel guilty, don't you? You start to get that little chip on your shoulder that's like, oh my goodness, I, I, I am too busy not to pray. I, I need to get more, 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 more judicious in my time and I need to be doing more and I need to be making this way, way, way better. We've all kind of read about prayer. We've all done prayer. We've all taken part in prayer services and sessions and, and we've all had these, these peaks, these mountaintop experiences, those times when our prayer lives are amazing and we've all had those times when our prayer lives are almost kind of non-existent. There's just that faint little blip on the line of our lives as we pray. And if you're like me, when I, when I try and pray on my own, I just get distracted. My brain just starts working and our minds wander. And before long, we're thinking about something that, that has got nothing to do with anything that we're praying about. And our prayers can sometimes even become a little bit monotonous, can't they? You know, it's just like, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all, but if you say the same grace before every single meal, it's sometimes a bit like that, isn't it? Our prayer lives are sometimes a little bit kind of like, oh, well, we say this, and then we say that, and then we say this, and then we say that, and then that's it done. It can become a little bit monotonous. Sometimes I find that the best prayer times that I personally have between me and God is in a corporate prayer setting. Um, if you've ever been to one of the Sunday night services over at, over at Warner, we have a prayer uh, service just before that at 5.15, really encourage you to come along to it. Sometimes just in those prayer uh, times, I have my best moments of just me and God communicating with each other in that corporate setting. Sometimes that's just the way that it works. Can anybody relate to me this morning? Is anybody on the same kind of wavelength of what I'm talking about that, that we just need to maybe think about prayer a little bit differently? This isn't even a modern-day problem. As I was reading through this, and we're going to get to the Bible in a second, we're going to see that the disciples had exactly the same issues. 
There's the, the very, very famous portion of Scripture where Jesus went off to pray for his very life. He was praying in the garden. So hard was he praying that drops of sweat were dripping from his brow. And he gave the disciples one simple task. And that was to stay awake and pray for him. What did they do? Fell asleep. Like their savior, the man that they had been traveling with, the person who they had seen miracles flow through, was praying for his very life, and the lads got together, bunked down, and fell asleep. As I read the Bible, you find all types of great people of prayer. King David was a man who met God regularly. His Psalms are the records of his prayers. Daniel was a man of prayer. The Apostle Paul was a man who spent time with God in prayer and in praise to the point where prison shackles broke off when he prayed. Amazing accounts of prayer. At the end of their three-year apprenticeship with Jesus, when Jesus asked them to pray, even the disciples couldn't get it right. They didn't actually know how to pray in the way that Jesus was, was, was asking them. So maybe it was a slightly unfair thing that Jesus did to the disciples. But as good Jews, they would, have, uh, they would have known how to pray in their way. But Jesus was asking them to maybe do something slightly different. And he gave them actually a model for prayer that is, uh, it is still well used today. And under, we need to understand it more and more and more today. So the Lord's Prayer is where we're going to park and where we're going to read from the Bible and where we're going to understand how we can pray. And it's going to come up on the screen in Matthew chapter 6. It says this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by, by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And this is the verse that sticks in our throats. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'm quite a black and white thinker. I was talking this morning. I'm quite a process-driven person, like A plus B equals C. So this kind of tells me that if I do not forgive people, I am not forgiven. That's tough, isn't it? That's a hard pill to swallow. But it's something that the Bible tells us, and it's the very words of Jesus, no less. So we need to take it seriously. Let's take a closer look at this, shall we? Just line by line, let's just go through this. Now, I'm not Shane Willard, all right? I know I've got a bald head like him. 
I certainly don't have the physique of him, and I definitely do not have the mind of him, so please cut me some slack. I'm not a Bible scholar like him, but what I do understand is that God can speak to us through a donkey, so I reckon I'm on good ground this morning. It says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, let me just start. This is pretty scandalous for Jesus to tell good Jewish men to pray to their Father in heaven. Because Jews can't even utter the name of God, let alone call Him Father. Such a, 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 an intimate, friend-based acknowledgement of who God is, it's just completely mind-blowing to the disciples. Romans 8, 15, 17 says this, that we did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. When we became Christians, we became sons adopted into his family. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. God's our Father. That's the intimacy that we have with the one that we pray to. He's so close. But sadly, in today's society, father figures, good ones at the very least, seem to be very few and far between. And it's not even our fault. Abuse, marriage breakdowns, they've all done a lot to harm this image of fatherhood. And we need to be careful not to ascribe the world's attributes of fatherhood to our Father in heaven. My dad, by no means, was a great dad, but he did his best according to what he knew and how he understood to do things. And he learned lessons from his father and his father before him. But I need to be careful not to ascribe my picture and my mentality of who our Father in heaven is according to how my dad treated me here on earth. And we need to cut our Father in heaven some slack because of that. Because even though God is our Father, He's also God. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He is transcendent above everything that's in this world. He's so pure that, that sin can't even be in His presence. There is no darkness or shadow where He is. And it's because of our Father in heaven that Jesus sacrificed Himself to give us that relationship with our Father in heaven. More than that, though, He's not just our Father. He is to be hallowed. He is to be made holy. Holy or hallowed be your name, Jesus prayed. It's calling our Father in heaven to that place of honor that's actually due to His name. It's a, a reverence and a respect of who He is. In our world today, God's name, character, and reputation isn't honored, isn't respected, and certainly isn't revered. There was this story just recently about the Manly Seven. You see that on the news? Where they kind of stood up for a, 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 an understanding of what they believed, and certain, certain areas of society just called them out 
You know, there was protests. There was people at the games and all that sort of stuff. It's for standing up for what they understand God would call them to be, something that's important to him. And they got called out for it. We need to remember that we are responsible for God's name being hallowed. Not the world. The world doesn't care about God's name being holy or being used in the right way. It's up to us to make his name holy and revered in the world. This first line is all about recognizing who God is and committing to represent him in our own lives as fully as we possibly can. Still with me? Yep, cool. Number two, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think these are perhaps some of the hardest words to pray because when we pray your kingdom come, what we're really meaning is everything that I want to decide. Everything that's in my heart over there and your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How easy is it for us to give over control of our lives? Not very easy at all, is it? We love to grab a hold of it. We love to plan. We love to make preparations. We love to have all of the dots joined up together and have everything all in a bag, neat and tidy. But actually, giving over control of our lives to God requires us to let go of everything that we have. Firstly, it requires action in our hearts. All through life in the world, we are taught that we are the masters of our own lives. You know, you go through school, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, what subjects are you going to take? What job are you going to start off with getting? What career path are you going to go on and progress through? And, and what house are you going to have? And the we are the masters of our own lives. We control our own destinies. But when Jesus calls us to be part of his kingdom, and when we pray this prayer, it's all about surrendering our hearts, our demands, and our wills here on earth. Are we willing for that to happen? Truthfully, honestly, like I said, you know, can I be, can I be honest? Are you willing to let go of your life in order to attain something that God has for you? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when God resides in our lives, he expects to sit on the throne. It's the truth. There's an old saying that he's either the king of all or he's not king at all. Is he at the center of our lives this morning? Is he on the throne? Is he in control? I know that this is hard for a Sunday morning. I understand this. But get the picture, this is such a simple prayer that we trot off so frequently and has become so traditional in many aspects and in many areas of Christianity, but it has such depth, it has such meaning, it's life-changing when we actually understand this. Our role in this life is as a doorman. We hold the door open for God, and we let him do what he wants to do. We get to play a part in it, which is amazing. Secondly, 
praying that his reign and rule is extended into every part of the earth. God's will is described in John 6, uh, 4.40 as this. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. God's will is that everyone would be saved. That's his will. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That's what we are a part of. That's what this church here in Morrifield is all about, that people would be saved. The God who made heaven and earth isn't recognized in Morrifield. He's not. There are churches around, obviously, who do recognize Jesus, but in respect of the population, we have a job to do. We've got a task ahead of us. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, the question is on us, not on God. Because it's God's, God's will and purpose and plan and destiny is already that people would be saved. It's all about us coming into line with that plan and that purpose and that destiny and helping to usher in his kingdom. Are we up for the task? Are we up for it? Are we on God's mission this morning? I think we are. I think you are. And like I said right at the start, give yourself a bit more credit than maybe what you feel. Don't be downcast because of this. You are on God's mission. You are about the Father's business. There's been so many people throughout history who've only made themselves available to God if it didn't actually cause too much of an imposition. It's like, oh God, yes, I'll, I, will, I will serve you wherever, wherever you go. I said this actually. I, I, when I left Bible college, I, uh, I went and interned for a month on the south coast of England because I thought I was going to be a surfer. <laughs> yeah. I even grew my hair. I had long hair. I was a surf dude. I wasn't really at all. But I went to this church and I was like, God, I would love to be here because it's like, it fits what I want to do. I want to be a surfer. It's such a cool atmosphere. Everybody's just like, hey, man, just chill out. It's awesome. But God had another plan. He had another purpose. I came to Australia as a non-Christian in 2000. I followed a girl. It was the worst thing that I ever did. I came to Australia for a month and I hated it. Couldn't stand the place. Why would I come to the other side of the planet and the weather's worse than it was back home? Why? I said to God, God, I will go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. I'll serve you anywhere apart from Australia. <laughs> Last time I checked, I'm here. God's plan, God's purpose, God's will allowing him to have control and allowing him to move us where he would want us to move is what it's about. What if God called us to give up a well-paying job for him, for something that he wanted? Or what if God called us to give more than 10% as a tithe or as an offering? What if he wanted to us to dedicate more of our time to him that would maybe mean giving something up that we love doing, that sport, that hobby, that interest. Are we willing to do that 
your will be done, your kingdom come. Number three, give us today our daily bread. Then Jesus prayed, give us today our daily bread. And he includes this because he's interested in our daily needs. This is a hearkening back to when the Israelites traveled throughout the desert. Uh, a journey that took way, way longer than they thought it was going to take to the point where their clothes started to perish, their footwear disintegrated, and they were struggling to survive. And God provided for them on a daily basis sustenance. He allowed their clothes to actually stop degrading and perishing like they were everlasting sneakers. It's fantastic. But he told them to not store up the provision and that it would be given to them again fresh the next day. Of course, we understand sometimes they got that wrong and they tried to do that and it went all moldy and nasty and all the rest of it. And that's just a lesson that God is actually able to provide on a daily basis for what we need. But here's a few interesting things. Jesus doesn't pray, you know, for a job, that you would have a job that would provide securely for the next five to ten years. He doesn't tell us to pray for a great investment opportunity that if we just kind of leave it alone for a few years is going to double. He doesn't tell us any of these things that require that sort of work or effort or, or transaction to take place. He just says, give us today what I need, my daily bread today. Why is that? Why is that? I'm not a planner. I'm a process person, but I'm not a planner. Julie's a planner. She loves to budget. I hate budgeting. I just want to spend. Give me today what I need, God. It's fine. I'll be all right. But if you're a, if you're a planner, you want to know where tomorrow's sustenance is coming from, don't you? That's just solid hunter-gatherer thinking, I reckon. You want to know by the end of the week you're going to have enough food in the cupboards to eat. And that, that's a very simplistic version of it, but that's the understanding that the reliance that we can have on our Father is that He can provide on a daily basis. He can give us everything that we need. How many of us opened our eyes from sleep this morning and prayed, God, I hope there's food in the cupboards for breakfast? There might be, but I doubt it. We all had wheat bakes, didn't we? We all had our bread. We all had our cup of coffee. We, we all had exactly what we needed for today. God didn't provide your wheat bakes. You bought it. Somebody made it. You went to the shops. But who gave you the job so that you could afford it? Who gave you the ability to earn that money? Who gave you the gifts, the talents, and, and all of those kind of things that got you in the door for that job so that you could reframing our idea of where our daily bread comes from. It all comes from God. All of our blessings, all of our provision, all of the sustenance we have comes from God. And that's what Jesus was teaching the disciples, just to acknowledge where your help comes from. Humility and dependence, especially for guys, is a massive thing. But to humble ourselves before God and say, God, you know what? It does come from you. Everything good comes from you. Reliance on God is massive. We're getting there, nearly there. Number four, 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The first thing you're saying when you pray this is, God, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I've done wrong. And when you study most of the world's religions, um, most of them are built on this concept of penance, which is you've done something wrong and you must do X in order to be okay with your, with your God and your deity. You've done something wrong, so you must sacrifice Y in order to be okay with your God. Even some aspects of Christianity, the Catholic Church, um, historically and even today, still has this idea of penance. If, if you've done something wrong, you go to the priest and he'll tell you to say three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers, and then you're okay with God. Jesus says that you are forgiven if you simply admit that you've done wrong and ask God for forgiveness. Boom. For the disciples, amazing freedom just came into their lives because they were under a concept and under a, a tradition that said once a year, the high priest would go into the temple and make a sacrifice for their sins that they had to work hard throughout life, that they had to do everything, that they had to bring their offering in order for God to be appeased. And Jesus is just saying, just ask, and forgiveness will be given to you. Second thing that you're committing to when you pray this is that you recognize that you have a responsibility to forgive others who have wronged you. Ooh, it's going to be really hard to do, can't it? That can be really difficult to do, to forgive other people, especially when they don't ask you for forgiveness. Those people who have done something, they've slighted you, they've, they've looked at you the wrong way, they've cut you up in traffic, and they don't give you the hand in their mirror to say thank you. Oh, Jesus. It's our responsibility to forgive those who have done ill against us, even when they don't ask for it. That's our gig. That's our job. That's our responsibility. Got a story from one of the pillars of, of the Christian faith, really, a lady named Corey Ten Boom. She was a, a prisoner of war. She was a POW in a German concentration camp during the Second World War. And um, when, she, when, she, when the war was over, she traveled and she spoke about uh, the kingdom of God and Jesus and forgiveness and all of these things, things that were just so drastically you would not expect somebody who was a prisoner of war in a German concentration camp to be thinking or pre preaching about. Then one day something happened that tested her, something that shook her to the very center of her being. And these are her words. It was at a church service in Munich when I saw him. The former SS officer who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. Context. When prisoners were taken to a concentration camp, they were herded onto trains, vehicles, taken to the place. They were dehumanized in a, such a base way. Man, woman, doesn't matter, stripped naked. 
and herded into these shower rooms where they all had to just be hosed down, just basically stripping off any humanity that they brought with them. Koei Tenboom recognized a man who was stood at the doorway of one of these shower blocks that she had been herded into. I can feel the hate rising up inside me. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, my best friend's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think as you say, he has washed my sins away, his hand thrust out to shake mine, and I who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness that it, that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that this world this world world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. This woman was faced with the person who ushered her into the most dehumanizing experience of her life. And he was full of the joy of the Lord because he had met Jesus and received forgiveness. And then she had to go through that whole experience again in order to appreciate that God's love, his grace, and his mercy was real for him as much as it was for her. Now, I appreciate that not many of us will have experienced something to that level, but I can guarantee you that all of us in our hearts need to forgive somebody today. There's somebody that's in our minds. There's somebody who we need to reach out to. There's somebody that even if we can't reach out to them for whatever reason, we in our hearts and in our communication with our Father need to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me all of us. Because forgiveness is not just hard to do. It's impossible to do in our own strength. It truly is. I believe that forgiveness is one of those things that 
that you do not appreciate, you do not understand unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Because it's only when you've received love in that perfected way that you can actually give love in that perfected way. And that's why prayer becomes so essential to us. It's when we exchange our will for God's will. And Jesus teaches us that if we think that we can't forgive, we probably haven't really experienced forgiveness ourselves. So this is all about an exchange that happens. It's not about feeling bad about yourself. Again, I reiterate, you're doing better than you think you are. But it's just about understanding that we need God so much more every single day. Forgiveness of others is made all the more important when we look at the very end of the passage. If we don't forgive others of their sins, our Father will not forgive our sins. Now, I don't understand this passage. I'm sure if Shane Willard was here preaching, he'd be able to tell us exactly what this means. But I don't get it. I don't understand it fully. But what I do know is that it's all about Jesus. What I do know is that it's the very words of Jesus is prompting us to enter the presence of the Father in order to be able to receive what we cannot ourselves give. So if we don't understand it, it just means all the more we need to talk to God and receive from Him. Because if it's not in our understanding, it's not in our strength, it's not in our capability. So we need to receive that from God in order to be able to give. Finishes off by saying this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have a spiritual enemy. It's the truth. And the Bible tells us that our spiritual en enemy is, is like a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking who to devour. And he will seek to destroy us by putting in front of us all types of temptations, all types of things that we could do, but we shouldn't do. Being aware of this, immediately we should be seeking the presence of God and asking him to empower us to stand against those temptations. And the Bible talks about the armor of God and putting on that armor that, that protects us and that gives us the ability to withstand those attacks. But don't under or overestimate the power and the influence of our enemy. Don't underestimate it because it's real. It's true. It happens. There is somebody who would seek to derail your life and your faith journey. But don't overestimate the influence of Satan either because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The very presence of God inside of you empowers you to withstand those attacks. We just have to be aware that they're there. And that's where prayer comes into its strength. When we know that we're being attacked, when we know that there's temptation, we can have a conversation with God that allows us to put on that armor. Can I have the band back, please? The Lord's Prayer was never meant to become some kind of magic formula that we recite and it fixes everything. 
It's a model of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, and for us today, we pray how to pray, the reason why we pray, the importance of prayer, and it should be used in that way. Taking all that into mind, let's all stand together right now, and together we're going to pray this prayer. Understanding a little bit more, maybe, of why we pray this prayer, understanding a little bit more maybe of the importance and the power that it contains, but we're going to talk to our Father in heaven who is holy, asking him to be the king of our lives and to provide all that we need to live the lives that he has destined us to live in the knowledge and understanding that we are all sinners. We are all fallen short and we are all saved by grace and he is the only one who is powerful enough to save us from any and all temptation there is nothing that is outside of his wheelhouse there's nothing that's more powerful than the presence of God so together the words are on the screen we're going to say this together and let's just mean it from our hearts eh? let's not make it something that's like a grace that we say before a meal this isn't a tradition. It's not also not a magic act. It doesn't make anything happen, but it just helps us to focus our attention on God. Let's say that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that your spirit is here helping us to understand and, and move forward, God, in our lives. You desire to see us progress in our journeys with you, God. Father, I thank you that you encourage us on a daily basis to just come into your presence, to seek your face and to have a conversation that will lead us further down the line in the destiny that you have called us into. So God, I pray for my friends. I pray for my family here in this room, God, that they would know that you are real, that they would know that you are for them, that you are not against them, that they would know, God, that you are encouraging them into the relationship even more, God, on a daily basis. Father God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would rest upon your children here. Give them the security and the strength of knowing that you are their father, that you are the one who leads them perfectly into all grace. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that the salvation reality would be real, that you have saved us from a past that we could not save ourselves from, that you place our feet upon a solid rock this morning that we do not have the right to stand on and that you give us a destiny in the future that you are empowering us and calling us into. That if we knew all that you have in, in mind for us, God, it would blow our minds. So Father, help us, lead us, and guide us. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.